This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on Bishop Rob's Four Faith weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. Howdy, Bishop. How you doing? Good to be with you. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you. So you entitled this week's devotion, Courage of Conviction. Yes. And it's all about John the Baptist. I love him. And so I, I clearly, and I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit of that passion with us for John the Baptist. Yeah, I, you know, well, first of all, what you're, what you've, what folks have read today, and what we're talking about is an excerpt from a sermon that I that I preached for a group called PEP, Preaching Excellence Program. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just want to give you guys an excerpt and, and share that a little bit with you. So, I mean, um, I like John the Baptist because John the Baptist is a church boy. You know, his mother and father are leaders in the church, temple, if you will. And, and John the Baptist ends up, I mean, John the Baptist is a, a good and proper Episcopalian. That's a joke. Some people take me literally. It's just a joke. In other <laughs> words, he, he grew up knowing what the soup spoon was and what the salad fork was and the dessert, you know, all that sort of stuff. He knew all of that, uh, was raised properly middle class, but then something happens. Now he ends up, you know, uh, knee deep in the muddy river, creating a space for people who otherwise wouldn't have been in the temple that he grew up in, right? He ends up co-creating a moment with God, right? And he scares the bejesus out of the clergy, right? So that's funny to me, um, you know, and, you know, I think that was true in his day. And as I said, you know, in that sermon, it's true now. People don't know what to do with John, right? And so they would rather criticize his, uh, him being a zealot than be transformed by his zeal. John wants to please God. John wants to please God. And John, I, I think you know, what I like John, John is a blinking, annoying, flashing, neon sign for God. And, 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 the, you know, and the script under the sign is, there's always a way home with God. And so I like John. Uh, you know, I, I, John does not mince words. John can't be bought. And John refuses to reduce to pablum this notion of repentance. John says that the way to real life is to pay attention to how you've lived. And if you've fallen short, say you're sorry and come back home. Come on. He's just very clear. I love Cla- he's clear. He's, he's clear. He's clear. Yeah. So he really gets the whole reconciliation forgiveness thing. He does. He really does. And you know what, what, what we know about John is that John, you know, we talked about social, we talked about social benefit in another, in, a, in another, uh, uh, you know, episode. John doesn't want the social benefit. John doesn't want nice, you know, John doesn't want nice clothes. He doesn't want a nice car. He doesn't want a pension. Uh, you know, John, John doesn't need the approval of the clergy of the formal institution. No, John is clear that he's out here doing some stuff for God. And, you know, what I like to say is is that either John, uh, you know, the seed of this was planted when John was a little boy in Sunday school, or when John became a little bit older, he realized that we didn't speak about this in Sunday school, and he knew that God wanted us to do this. So he's, one way or the other, he's living out what he was taught. 
Mm. So is your charge to us then, Bishop, to be like John the Baptist? My charge to us is, is, is to pay attention to John and, and, and see what lessons we can learn. I think, number one, John has moral clarity. Moral clarity, right? So John has taken the time to get to know God and to get really clear about what is right and what is wrong in God's mind, right? I think, number two, uh, having that moral clarity and living that out, not just, you know, not a, philo- a philosophy or philosophical sort of a perspective, John now has moral authority. And this is what scares even Herod, you know, the, the, the guy who ended up uh, eventually incarcerating him uh, and getting him beheaded, even Herod is afraid of John's moral authority. And I, and I would say that that's a word to us as lay people, and that's a word to us as clergy, is, is that somehow we've started to think that theological arguments are the way to be, are the way to win, are the way to bear witness. I'm not so sure. I think, you know, I, I think, you know, be the sermon, and if you have to, preach. I think John, John has a certain amount of moral authority because he is the thing. He is in the river. He is welcoming people, all kinds of people. He is baptizing. He is talking about true repentance. He is the thing. He has a track record. And I think the last thing is that so if we have moral clarity, uh, which leads to moral authority, then we begin to uh, walk down the road of the courage of convictions. Now, Now I'm not for sale. I'm not inflexible and I'm not rigid. I'm not arrogant, but I have courage of convictions now. And John's courage really is God is God, and the temple has fallen short. And so I'm going to stand in the muddy river and welcome people. And I don't care if you scorn me, right? So I, I like that we, we should talk more about what John did than we talk about what John wore. You know, some preachers want to dither around with what John wore or what he ate. And okay, that's cool. If you don't have anything to say, I guess you can focus on that. But I'm interested in what John did. John did. And, you know, the truth of the matter is the people we, we venerate, our, our, our saints, if you will, our holy women and holy men, they understand John. They understand, in some ways, having a conscience that forces them to an intersection where they have to stand. Either I believe in love or I don't. Either I believe in forgiveness or I don't. Either, either I, be, I believe in generosity or I don't. And they stand at those intersections. And if you read our Hey, geography, if you read Holy Women and Holy Men, at great cost, some even unto death, at great risk. And John is just, he's just that dude, mm-hmm. you know? John, we forget that John was Jesus' revival preacher. It's John who preached Jesus, you know, <laughs> into his activities. Yeah. All right, friends, well, we'll be back with more after a short break. Thank you for listening to Four People. To first-time listeners, we encourage you to subscribe. For all updates, you can follow Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, before the break, you were talking about a number of different things, and you used the word moral as a descriptor to each. You said um, moral clarity, moral authority, and moral conviction. Yeah. And it's problematic for me um, because, and nothing that you say I disagree with, by the way, yet there, there are some folks, and I, 
when I say there are some folks, I, I need our listeners to know that I often lump myself in with this. So I don't want to think that I'm an exception to this. I think sometimes people are, and you've caught me a number of times in the black and white, uh, you know, um, thinking mm-hmm. that's how I'm wired. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. my growing edge, if you will. Sure, sure. And yet there are some folks who would say, well, I do have moral clarity and it is completely like, I'm like, wait, who are you to say that that is your, you're clear about this moral when I'm like, that could not be further from what I would expect Jesus would be or John the Baptist would be. And so when you use words like moral clarity, moral conviction, or, you know, all those things, I get a little nervous. Yeah. As well, you should, because I I think that, um, I think that it's, it's somebody might hear me and, uh, and, and feel confirmed Right. In, in, in their moral clarity about excluding people <laughs> right. or, the, or their moral of uh, their, you know, you know what I mean? So I, I let me, so thank you. So give me, let me have a chance to, to sort of nuance that a little bit. I guess when I'm saying moral authority and moral clarity, I'm talking about biblical values and virtues. I'm talking, and I'm not talking about uh, these little one-off things that people try to build a life on. Uh, you know, some people try to, somebody, pe- people pick, you know, two and three words in some obscure book of the Bible and try to build a life on it. And I, I think they're missing the point. Perhaps their intentions are good, but they're missing the point. I think when you, when you read the 66 books and you look at the overarching trajectory, it is clear that God is love. It is clear that God's dream is that you and I should live as siblings. It is clear that it is God's dream that everyone should have something, that, that, that we should have enough together. And that, that you and I, out of a sense of decency uh, and, uh, and um, fraternity, um, should make sure that everybody has. Uh, and, um, and that you and I um, should strive uh, to build a world that honors those tenets, right? So when I'm talking about moral authority and moral clarity, I'm talking about behaviors and beliefs that move us in that direction, which is this overarching trajectory of love and justice, you know, what's interesting to me is, is that a lot of people that you, you'll bump into who are on these forums, et cetera, uh, with what we might call moral clarity, uh, their they're, moral clarity doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to, to biblical justice, right? Or they want to pick and choose. They, they have what I call an a la carte approach to the Bible. No, I, I think if you're going to if you're going to have moral authority, and moral clarity. Yeah, then let's take the whole 66 books into account here. And I think there's no way. You can take those 66 books into account, and particularly for Christians, uh, the New Testament, and not come up at the last with love and justice and reconciliation. Mm. And grace and forgiveness and patience and all the things. (laughs) Indeed. But what is easier, and St. Paul warned us, right, warned us about this in 1 Corinthians 13, which is is that, um, you know, though I have, uh, you know, the, the gift to, to speak and to talk like uh, angels, you know, and if I don't have love, I'm nothing, right? Even if I can just give all my stuff away, right? I, if without love, it's nothing. So, so you know, we get all weepy at, at weddings, but Paul is actually not talking about marriage in that instance. Paul is talking about uh, our propensity, right, to, to even corrupt, right, a spiritual gift like speaking in tongues and making it about who's in and who's out, right? So yeah, some people want to have a lot of moral clarity about excluding people. 
but it just doesn't stack up to scripture. It certainly does not stack up to the way Jesus walked around Galilee and included, you know, outliers again and again and again and again, and then entrusted his legacy to moral failures, right? Jesus had moral clarity. His moral clarity was, is that even though you fail, I have the kind of morals that will prop you up. That's what he's saying to Peter. I love that. So when I read, you say John preached with power. Yeah. And he also lived that power. Yeah. To me, the word integrity is standing up. And so I'm wondering how, what would it look like if he didn't live that power? Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just wondering how those two things like synthesize with one another. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, when the Bible's talking about power, it's, it's talking about that spir- spiritual dynamism. It's talking about the, the 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 power to effect change. And John has that power. He has a way with people, right? He's able to reach people that the temple is not reaching. He's able to effect change in people the way that the the clergy who are standing by criticizing him can't effect change. So I mean, I think there, there's power there. But I think also the power that the scripture is pointing to is the power that comes from moral clarity and comes from moral authority, right? So there's there's a there's a a personal power there. I mean, if you if you've ever had a chance to meet some people who, because of life situations, have forced them to be clear and to and they've made the choice to live a life of wholeness and integrity, you're meeting a powerful person. The first time I met Marion Wright Edelman, uh, who was uh, who is now retired, but who was the uh, uh, executive director of the Children's Defense Fund. I met someone who had unbelievable, it wasn't charisma. I know what charisma feels like. This was power. This was a force of nature. This was someone who got things done because she was so crystal clear when she went in rooms with wealthy people to get donations for the Children's Defense Fund. She was clear that America's children deserve the best. And the, the disparity in health and education, and outcomes, and incarceration was beneath us as Americans. And so she walked into the room absolutely embodying that singular truth. And let me tell you something. If you encounter that, you, you've encountered something. Yeah, I and love that. I love I that wa- example. I watched her fundraise with some of America's most wealthy CEO, you know, uh, uh, I guess, high-flying corporations and, you know, wealthy CEOs. And she would get them down on the floor, the dirty floor. They, you know, they'd walk in with $25,000 worth, worth of clothes on and jewelry. And she would invite them down on the floor to sit with public school children in these what looked like God-forsaken neighborhoods, right? And she would tell them a story, right? And then she would have us, at the time I was an intern, she would have us young college kids then to tell these CEOs about why we've decided to give our time when we could be at the beach or walking the dog or, you know, partying. And I just saw her just using her force, her force, her clarity, her conviction to persuade, to persuade. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Bishop, you basically just, you made it real. You put into real life what moral clarity, and then she sees the authority to walk into that room because she clearly was passionate about it. She was knowledgeable about it, and she brought all of that, giving her the authority to speak and address the room. But then that moral conviction, I bet, convicted others. Well, this is it. This is what I wanted to say. And so, so you know, I was talking to a group the other day, and they said, you know, uh, how did you learn to raise money? 
I said, well, I learned it from Marion Wright Edelman on a public school floor one day, uh, you know, and I, I watched her uh, after these, after, you know, the kids talk to these uh, CEOs and after we college kids talk to them, I watched her look people in the face, square in the eye and ask them for five, 10, 15 million dollars without batting an eye. And, and her why, if you, can, if you can understand what I mean by that, her why, her purpose, her clarity, really, it wasn't about you know, fundraising gimmicks or being cheeky. She was on a mission to save lives, and you could feel it in the room. You could feel it in the room. So what I always tell people about fundraising is, is that fundraising is fine, but if you don't have a why, if you can't look people square in the eye and, and, and yourself are convinced right? You're never going to be as successful as you could be. So when I think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist looked people in the eye in the Jordan River and knew they were hurting. Knew they were hurting, right? And knew that they had come to dead ends in their lives and he offered them a U-turn. And, you know, I got to tell you, you know, if, if you and I or others looked at, a, at someone like that in the face and you didn't see any guile, no bullshit, that would be pretty compelling. So, so that's what I mean by John. You know, John just, he won't play the games. He's not got time for the games. He's clear. He's singular in purpose. He wants to change the world one soul at a time. And he's on that mission. That's right. Well, Bishop, thank you so much for that clarity. <laughs> <laughs> And listeners, thank you to listening to Four People. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. 